Good morning and welcome to West Seattle Christian Church. If you're new, welcome. If not, welcome back. We are almost done with our Unqualified series where we've been looking at different characters throughout scriptures and asking the question, why is this person qualified? They seem to be unqualified. What qualified them for God to use them? And uh, as we wrap it up, maybe you saw this coming, maybe you didn't, but we're going to end uh, this week and next week on the person of Jesus. Um, we're going to start in, uh, believe it or not, it's almost already Advent. And to kind of like get us in gear for that, we're going to start with a scripture from Isaiah uh, in the Old Testament, chapter 53, verses 1 through 5. And this is what that says. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, when I uh, uh, look at our culture today, I find plenty of uh, examples of people doubting that Jesus was even a real person. Sometimes people are even saying that he is made up. So it's encouraging sometimes when you find in uh, a movie or in something that somebody wrote where they're taking Jesus seriously. Um, and I think that when people say something about Jesus being fake or, or, or not real or not relevant, if they, if they took it seriously, they would find, they would find something different uh, and more truthful than they could possibly imagine if they were brave enough or curious enough to go down that well. Um, because when it comes to the solid history of Jesus and the impact that he's had on the world, uh, when you when you make fun of that that man, or you make fun of the reality uh, that he existed, you couldn't be more wrong. Um, on the face of things, when you think about who Jesus was and where he came from and the time he lived, you couldn't think of somebody more unlikely to save the world. Humanly speaking, when you read the scriptures, when you read the Bible, uh, he was weak. He wasn't popular. Our scripture tells us, the one that we just read, that he was despised and rejected. It even says that he wasn't handsome. Um, you could take that even further and say maybe he was ugly, that people wanted to turn their face away from him. He basically wouldn't have had uh, many, if at all, any followers on Insta or TikTok. His reels weren't trending. Uh, neither were his stories. His Twitter was barely even registered. He had no followers. In a more meaningful way of looking at Jesus's life, uh, than just social media trends. He had no money. He had no possessions, no house, no credentials, no diplomas, except for just being himself. He grew up in a tiny village. He was the son of peasants. Uh, his career only lasted three years. And when he left, he leaves his plan, his legacy, in the hands of uneducated, uninfluential, unqualified fishermen and nobodies. He had none of the qualifications for influence or status, 
it would be hard to choose a more unqualified candidate to change the world. But I want to have you think about this for a moment today. Jesus was and is the most influential, powerful agent for change the world has ever seen. And I want to illustrate that for you today. It's impossible to comprehend the history of the world without thinking about him, without thinking about Jesus. If you have friends or you see people on TV that can't, can't see the immense impact that this unqualified carpenter has had on the life of the human race, uh, the reason is simple. If they can't, they can't see it. The reason they can't see it is because we are literally immersed in it. We are immersed in the impact that Jesus has had on the human race. And I want to explain that to you. It's the year 2020. Luke, in an effort to date the birth of Jesus in his gospel, he tells us that Augustus was Caesar, Caesar Augustus, and that Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And over time, there are all these other leaders. The power of that Caesar that Luke names and the power of that governor all that they had and what they were in control of, it faded away. But the power and influence of this, of this unqualified nobody, this carpenter from Nazareth, it only grew and grew and grew until in the 6th century, a Romanian monk, Dionysius Exegus, he, he formulated something called uh, Anno Domini. Maybe you've heard of that before, but maybe you forgot what it means. Anno Domini, it's our dating system of the years, uh, B.C. and A.D., if you're not familiar, or B.C.E. and C.E. is what people are saying now. It, it makes no difference. He, he started marking, this, this Romanian monk, he started marking events, uh, not from the birth of Rome, not from the birth of a Caesar or, or a powerful uh, king or politician or something like that or emperor he started marking time from the birth of this guy Jesus the creation of the calendar at that point was not just some technical convenience like the advent of the first iPhone yay now I can keep track of all my appointments and I don't have to remember anybody's birthdays or phone numbers or anything like that it was much more than that when when this, when this calendar was invented. It was a statement of not only time, but a statement of reality that the critical fulcrum event that splits history into two halves is the entry, the birth of this man, Jesus. If you were in Jerusalem in 30 AD and you were asked to take a bet on who's gonna last longer, the Roman emperor or this guy, Jesus, and their influence? Is it this guy over here, Jesus, with his followers, or is it is it the emperor of the known world? Who, whose influence and whose, whose kingdom is gonna last longer? Which would you have put your money on? That's the question. Now, 2,000 years later, how many kids have been named after those first followers of Jesus? Peter, James, John, Mary, Andrew, Elizabeth, Judas, just kidding. Nobody names their kid Judas. But I mean, we name our cities after these people uh, and other earliest followers of Jesus. How many cities are named Saint something or other? You know, uh, in, in Washington, the state where we live, we have Mount Saint Helens, you know. You can't look at a globe or a map or an atlas of the world that doesn't have 
pages and pages of the names of the people who were inspired by Jesus. Uh, just look in on, on any map anywhere and you will find it everywhere. What's so interesting about this is that in the ancient world, uh, children were considered non-persons non as well. The high infant mortality rate was, was a deterrent for parents to have any emotional attachment to their kids until they were of certain age. And then it was kind of like, well, you, we just had you so you could do some work, <laughs> you know, and help the family out. Uh, a lot of times when you read, when you read ancient texts uh, from non-Christian authors, from the quote-unquote pagan authors back then, they would refer to kids with the terms you would refer to for plants. Think, think like sprouts or seedlings or seeds or something like that. Because at that point, abandonment of unwanted children was happening all the time, especially for girls. What I want you to know about how Jesus influenced and changed history is that he came into a world like that, where kids were just abandoned on the street. And here's why this matters. Remember that story where the mothers bring their kids to Jesus so that he can bless them? And even his disciples, they always get a bad rap for a lot of things, and deservedly so, I think, in some, in some situations. But they're just doing what everybody else did at that time. They're just kids. Go away. Don't let them bother the master. And Jesus says, no, bring them to me. The kingdom of God belongs to these. Wow. What I want you to see is that Jesus changed the intrinsic worth of children at that exact moment. Completely altered the course of history from that moment because his followers took up that mantle and began to change the way culture viewed, ch viewed children, viewed kids. The concept of childhood and what should happen in childhood as we understand it today was actually an invention of Jesus and his followers, the Christians, the cultural idea of children as treasured people was a consequence of his revolutionary idea that God treasures and loves every single human being. Who demonstrated that? This man, Jesus. Let's take that further and talk about women for a minute. In ancient societies and today, even our society, Women are seen as second-class citizens. Whether you want to agree with that or not, I'm here to tell you that is true, and it, and, it, and it has been changing, and it should continue to change. Back then, not only was it that they were second-class, women weren't even view, viewed as citizens. Um, who changed that? Jesus did. Jesus broke the code. He approached a Samaritan woman and told her, in no uncertain terms, you have worth you have value. And in that moment, I want to be really clear here. In that moment, Jesus changed the future for millions upon millions of women. It began a change. It began a shift. In a time when in ancient Rome, widows were fined if they didn't remarry after two years, within two years of their husband's death. If they didn't remarry, they were fined because they were considered to have a negative influence on society. Jesus, even at the cross, and there's countless other examples of what he did and what his followers did for women. He turns to John at the cross and he says, as he's dying, he goes, he goes, you, and he points to his mom, he goes, you are now her son. And he says to his mom, she, she, she he says to John, you are now, she is now your mother and you are now her son. In that exact moment, 
Jesus places intrinsic value on the disadvantaged, and he places an obligation on those who can to be able to take care of others. I, there's countless more examples. Let's go through, through a, a few more. Did you know that Jesus changed the way that we think about education? He told us to love God with all of our mind, with all of our mind. Augustine, uh, the monk, the first Archbishop of Canterbury, he took up this theme of loving God with all your mind, and he said that all truth, if something is true, he said all truth is, is God's truth. If it's true, it comes from God. So what did he do? So and this is really important because I think today so many Christians are like, well, this is what the Bible says, and maybe X, Y, Z, evidence, science over here says that. And, I, and Augustine would say, if it's true, it's God's truth. He took up this theme and he said that he said uh, we need to pay attention to what else is out there that other people are discovering. So he studied the Greeks, he studied the Romans, he studied great thinkers like Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, and he said all of what these guys are saying, what they're dealing with, and what they're studying, it is fundamental to what's fundamental to us now in modern academia, whether you studied them or not. Um, all those works they were being copied down in the monasteries uh, because, the, because of uh, er, um, uh, Augustine's influence. And he basically said, these great thinkers and what they are saying are really important because some of the truths that they are discovering are truths that God wants us to know. Um, and then it was passed down from generation to generation and copied in these monasteries. And if it hadn't been done by them, we would have lost many of these works. Then came the universities after that. Places in Paris, Oxford, Cambridge, founded by who? Who were these institutions founded by? They were founded by followers of Jesus in Rome, in Vienna, Heidelberg, all, all of them reflecting the idea that God, God is supremely rational, supremely rational. So universities, as a rule, were begun by followers of Jesus. The first university in the English-speaking world, Oxford, it still has as its motto, Psalm 27, which says, the Lord is my light. The first university in, in the United States, Harvard, still has as its first precept, its first rule says, let every student be plainly instructed that the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ and to lay Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Amazing. What about schools? Inspired by Jesus, Christ followers established and ran schools hundreds of years before governments came along and got involved about it. And I mentioned science. What about science? What would our lives have been like without all of the scientific discoveries and knowledge that we've accumulated in the modern era? If you know anything about science, there are people that came well before our time now who laid the foundation for the science that's being done now. One of those guys was Alfred North Whitehead, one of the dominant thinkers of the 20th century. Um, even in the 19th, back in the 19th century, what, here's what he said. What was it that made it possible for science to emerge when it did? And then he answers his own question. He says, it was the medieval instance of, insistence of the rationality of God, that all things are created by a God of reason. And this belief gave the confidence that led to the rise of science. This is not to say that without this influence, science couldn't have arisen otherwise. 
but as an organized, sustained enterprise, science has risen only once in history, in Europe, in the civilization called Christendom. Uh, fast forward, this is probably why we have this quote, uh, you know, a few decades later from Walter Heisenberg, or Werner Heisenberg. The first, he, he has a great quote, I love this, and I'll explain to you, to you who he is in just a minute. This quote is really short, very sweet, I think. He says, the first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will make you an atheist. But at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. That's an amazing quote. Who was Werner Heisenberg? He was awarded in 1932 the Nobel Prize for Physics for discovering, before 1932, back in 1925, he discovered a way to formulate quantum mechanics in terms of matrices. So basically many scientists consider him to be the father of quantum physics. The first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will make you an atheist, but at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. Moving on, have you ever wondered, wondered where hospitals came from? Jesus healed the cure and cared for the blind and the sick and the lame and cured them. And a while later after Jesus, a Christ follower named Benedict came along following Jesus' example. In the 5th century, he invented what for all intents and purposes uh, was a hospital, the first of its kind. And in the 6th century, it was, for, it was the norm for Benedictine monasteries to have hospitals attached to them. And this is why both my kids were born in a hospital named after St. Luke. There are tons of hospitals strewn across the United States and Europe that are all named after saints. It's why we have entities, uh, institutions like the Salvation Army and the Red Cross. Whenever you look at healthcare and hospitals, you are looking at a movement inspired by Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that there would be no compassion and no healthcare without Christianity, but what I am saying is that Wherever you have an institution of self-giving, whether it's hospitals or schools or rescue missions or food banks or uh, societies working on different illnesses, trying to cure them, where they are providing for those who do not have the ability to pay them back, the probability is that it has its roots in and through Jesus. Pop quiz. Have you ever heard of the word Cyrillic? Do you know what Cyrillic is? Well, it's an alphabet. It's used by about 250 million people in Europe and in parts of Asia. Where did it come from? It came from the work of a Christian missionary named Saint Cyril. He was a missionary to the Slavs. And why was it developed? He invented it so that the Slavs could actually read about Jesus. They had no written language. And he's like, okay, here is what they're speaking orally. How do we take that and put it into a written language in a new alphabet that can be understood by these people and then reproduced? So in trying to give these people a way to read about Jesus, the byproduct of trying to help them learn about the person of Jesus was he gifted them a written language. The first efforts of the scientific study of languages was by Christian missionaries they compiled the first dictionaries. They wrote the first grammars. And along the same lines, the world as we know it in the modern era was ushered in during the late 15th century in the Renaissance by Gutenberg's invention of movable type. You've heard about the Gutenberg press. What was he trying to achieve? What inspired him? 
What was the book he was trying to make copies of? Uh, it would take a monk years to make one handwritten copy of the Bible. I think the best estimates of how many pages they could copy a day without mistakes was about 40 pages. And you know how long your Bible is. So it would take him a long time to do that. And he came, he came along and invented his press. He could roll off hundreds in the same amount of time. So his in, in his in, it said that his innovations in movable type printing have been called the most important, the most important invention of the second millennium. Disseminating information that is used in schools, in universities, teaching people to read. It's the foundation for uh, typing, for computers, for coding, for all kinds of stuff, okay? What about music and the arts? Well, I think we need a very long time to talk about this subject to be sure, but try to imagine a world, try to imagine our world with no system for musical notation at all, because it was invented by Christ followers to enable the collective worship of people. How are we all, literally, how are we all going to sing off the same sheet of music? <laughs> so imagine also like no, no hymns from Luther, no hallelujah chorus. What about paintings and art and sculpture? No Sistine Chapel, no Da Vinci, no Michelangelo, no Raphael, none of these, none of these artists who have created magnificent works of art. Really, there has been no transcendent version of reality no cosmic story that's gripped the artistic imagination more than this man, Jesus. I've given you a ton of information just like, like through a fire hydrant, like shooting it right at you. I know it's a lot to digest. Uh, and we're going to finish this up next week. But I want to ask you this last question. What about social impact in terms of the influence Jesus has had? And social impact has to do about a, a lot of things. But I think about one thing when I think about the social ailments in our society, and that is addiction to alcohol, drugs, pornography, overeating, social media. Addictions are like, they're like bonds. They tie you to something that you don't really want to be tied to. Jesus releases the power to break those bonds. And Alcoholics Anonymous came straight out of a community of Jesus followers. They were seeking to deploy the transforming power of Jesus to rescue lives. If there were no Jesus, would that work and thousands of works like it, would they even be happening? We don't know. Probably not on the scale that they are uh, today. So I want to leave you with this. Not only does Jesus have the power to change history, he can change convictions, he can change your prejudices, my prejudices, the prejudices of others. And that's what we'll touch on next time as we finish up uh, this series. And until then, I want you, I really encourage you uh, to examine with your head and with your heart just all of the fascinating ways that Jesus has changed, literally changed the course of history. And I'll leave you with this quote, and I'm going to phrase it this way. May you come to see Jesus in this way when you look at all the ways he has changed the world. It's put very eloquently by Dallas Willard, and I hope you come to see him this way. Jesus is not just nice. He is brilliant. He is the smartest man who ever lived. He is now supervising the entire course of world history 
while simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. He always has the best information on everything and certainly also on the things that matter most in human life. Amen. I'll see you next week.